Had enough of the been there, done that ideas, tired of too much talk and so little action. Rewind now and welcome to Transformation and Change Radio with Dr. Kathy O'Bear, where the vision of true equity, inclusion, courage, and purpose meet powerfully. Dr. Kathy delivers with dynamic, engaging conversation and the most authentically brave dialogue on air today. This hit show will challenge you to explore current issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion and deepen your capacity to choose courage to speak up to greater inclusion in everything you do. Fasten your seatbelts and accelerate your effectiveness to become a powerful change agent in your life, community, job, and society. Imagine true equity and inclusion and get the tools to really manifest your vision. No frills, no fluff, just really powerful, good stuff. Transformation and Change Radio starts now. Well, I'm Dr. Kathy O'Bear, she, her, hers, here just breathing in, honoring the lands of the Cheyenne, Ute, and Arapaho here in Denver, Colorado. I could not be more excited and honored to have Dr. Eddie Moore Jr., the founder of the White Privilege Conference, America Moore Mir, here for us. He just said, real talk, real solutions. And the last time I was doing a radio show was during the first level of pandemic. And now since the uprisings, folks really taken to the streets and in organizations and institutions saying we need to dismantle anti-Black racism, as well as other forms of racism and look at white supremacy culture, there's no one I could be more honored to learn with than Dr. Eddie Moore Jr. As we dive into real dialogue and national dynamics, racism, white supremacy, and what we can be doing not only individually, but in our organizations. Welcome so much, Eddie. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, my sister, my friend, it's, it's an honor. It's a pleasure. Always good to see you and always good to be, uh, you know, uh, partnering with you, chatting with you about the work, uh, the challenges, the possibilities. So thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so honored. Now, folks may know you from all your books. Guide for White Women to Teach Black Boys. And by the way, listeners, you don't have these, go find these. The Diversity Consultant Cookbook, which may help so many folks are like, well, how do I be supportive in ways internally and externally? Everyday white people confront racial and social injustice. And then the online journal, Understanding and Dismantling Privilege. So they may know you from that, but they may know you from these 21-day racial equity habit challenges I understand there's now one on protesting and a brand new one on self-care that you're doing and so much more. But my guess is a lot of folks have heard you speaking live on radio shows, TV, organizations, and I will, they'll never forget you when they hear you. And then I feel so honored that it was Jamie Washington and Vernon Wall that introduced me to you in the White Privilege Conference. And I'm I'm embarrassed to say I wasn't there from the beginning but I'm honored to say that um, I have learned with you and all your speakers and presenters and you've allowed me to come do workshops. And so I look forward to when we're back live doing that in Phoenix next year. So the work of the White Privilege Conference has been such an important part of my evolution as a white change agent. And so I just could be not so honored to have you here. So could you just, how are you? the dynamics are impacting you differently than me, your family, just how are you and how's your family doing in these times? Well, I'll start with the family. I mean, we have all the things we need. I mean, I have to uh, really um, uh, continue to focus on little things, which is uh, during the pandemic become so big and so important. 
we have a two-year-old, we have a nine-year-old. And when you're managing kids, working with kids, interacting with kids at that age, it really helps you to understand little things are so important. Mm -hmm. And we are fortunate and blessed to have the things we need, the necessities. Um, um, you know, me and how I'm doing, I, I really don't know. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, Kathy, um, I'm a pretty positive and productive person and I'm trying to stay that way during this time. Uh, but with the pandemic and of course, uh, public assassinations, I mean, uh, I don't know if um, I have quite the gauge, the measurement, the tool to tell me how I'm doing. I know inside there's stuff bubbling up that I kind of recognize that feeling and know it's not healthy. And so I'm trying to stay in tune with that and, you know, stay active, eat right, do some self-care stuff. Uh, but I'll tell you, watching, especially George Floyd, eight minutes and 46 seconds, I just can't tell you the rage that I feel knowing that I'll never forget that footage the rest of my life. Yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, even just talking about it now, just runs the blood through my veins. And um, I know that's not healthy and I'm dealing with those feelings. I'm, I'm grappling with those feelings, but just trying to remain positive and productive. That's been my kind of um, mantra over these last few weeks and months. And the toll it must take, particularly on folks who are black and African Americans, when I saw that public assassination and then six hanging slash lynchings, Black friend of mine called just the other day. She said, there's two more and the racial terrorism that is happening in our hometowns. And I felt the rage and fear. And then I just don't know what it does to the black bodies, not only the current re-traumatization, but the generational re-traumatization. So, whew. Yeah, you, you, I mean, you hit it on the head and, and um, you mentioned the 21 day action plan. That's part of the catalyst of creating that. Just thinking about just how one takes care of themselves, particularly folks of color during this time where um, um, I'm sure you can relate to this. I've received so many requests from folks just wanting answers, wanting to know what to do and, I'm trying to be, you know, that friend, that colleague, that professional that's providing that resource, but also, you know, just being really in tune to the fact that uh, I got some stuff going on inside of me right now that I'm not quite sure about. And, um, and, and, and this time, these days that I'm experiencing highs and lows, anger, joy, um, kids, wife, family, friends, I mean, it's a lot. And so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm always grateful that I can remember and understand and know about my ancestors and the people that came before me that endured just all kinds of things that never were filmed, that were never caught on tape. And I'm using that strength, that survival to continue to be my fuel to fight for the kind of society I want my kids uh, to be living in and leading in over the next 25, um, 50 years or so. So powerful to acknowledge as well as calling the ancestors and the resilience that also is in, I believe, Black bodies and other folk. And I was going to save it to the end, but we're here. 
I have so many folk of color that come to my community connections that I've been holding since the pandemic. Just how are you? And the emotions across race, anything goes in those. And I just feel in my soul the need for more space for healing, healing trauma, healing, just cumulative impact and strategizing. Do you have any other thoughts? Because you share so many wonderful resources for free. Do you have any other thoughts for folk of color, especially black folk who are also saying, I don't have time for self-care. I don't have time to focus on me. There is so much racial terror, white supremacy, and my organization is not moving forward to institutionalize anti-Black systemic change. So what would you say? Yeah, well, you know, being a, a man of faith, you know, I learned growing up to really turn to scripture or my reflections and over my life's time, I think that that's been helpful. But I do think this is a different time we're living in. And it's not that I can't still rely on those, but I feel like for trauma care, for the kinds of things that I'm dealing with internally, I need additional assistance. And sometimes that's been a macho part of me, a, a kind of cultural part of me that said, that's not, that's, that's a weakness that I don't need to grapple with. That's not me. I mean, uh, I'm stronger than that. Uh, so uh, I've had to kind of uh, come to grips and re-examine what that means. And I remember years ago, we had Dr. Joy DeGruy speak at White Privilege, and she said from the main stage, really, as I understood it, that every Black person, every person of color, Black person specifically, should be getting some kind of counseling help dealing with the uh, what she called post-traumatic slave syndrome, the trauma of what we carry from our ancestors. And I always hung on to that. And now that's what I'm turning back to and remembering the guide, the tools. I remember Naeem Akbar breaking the psychological change of slavery, speaking years ago about really the impact of white supremacy and its daily dose of terror on the minds and the genius of black folks and how we got to take care of that to recover that. And now um, uh, uh, my dear brother Resma. Yes. who's um, uh, done the book on my grandmother's hands is really kind of a, I think a newer tool that we can now turn to. And so it's those kinds of things that I'm really trying to look to now, in addition to some of my faith, faith kinds of reflections, uh, but really just coming to the grips to say, it's okay to get extended care, extended assist assistance. When you watch a man die on TV, I used to do that in the movies. You know, you see a movie, you know, Terminator or whatever, The Godfather, whatever, right? Like, it's fantasy, right? When you watch real-life death, whether it's a shotgun blast to a young jogger or the slow 8 minutes and 46 lynching that we witnessed at the hands of George Floyd, it's to a young it's jogger. It's just not healthy for the Black mind, the Black spirit, if you ask me. And so I've had and, and continued to try to find some ways to recover what I lost spiritually, internally, intellectually by witnessing those things and trying to maintain as I, I, I'm being called on from my position to be a, a resource, to be a model, uh, to be an expert. And so um, uh, it's been a challenge, uh, but I'm, like I said, I'm remembering those who never were on tape uh, and uh, it's that strength, it's that memory that's really keeping me going. 
so powerful. And there are so many thousands, if not millions daily, as you said, racial terror, racist interpersonal aggressions that aren't on tape. And what was so chilling for me about George Floyd's assassination and lynching was that ex-police officer Chauvin staring at the camera, 17-year-old black young woman, and just the arrogance and you can't effing touch me and there's nothing you can do. And that singular moment representing what is happening not only in our police forces, I think in all of our policing legal systems in every single organization, nonprofit, corporate, higher ed, K-12. And the question I've been asking white people is what are the racist attitudes that fueled his behavior there? As well as Amy Cooper, when she weaponized the police to try to literally kill Christian Cooper. And then I ask whites, how have you had similar racist attitudes and what are your racist behaviors that fueled them? And so I, I just wanna use this as a way to, how are you making meaning of all that's occurring and you've shared so powerfully in some ways, but if we talked a week ago, it would have been a different conversation. So how are you making meaning of all that's happening on so many levels that I can't keep track of, I can't follow? Um, and if you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself in other ways, but how are you making meaning of this all? Yeah, you know, I, you know, as the founder of the White Privilege Conference, and you can relate to this, you know, being there, not from the beginning, but I mean, you've been there with us for a while supporting and really, um, you know, amplifying and echoing what's going on at the conference, why it's important. But to be honest with you, Kathy, I feel like a kid who's had an imaginary friend for 20 plus years and nobody would listen. Yes. Nobody believed that this thing was real. Now, I think Dylan Roof and some of what happened around that and the march in Charlottesville helped a little bit. But I feel like, you know, this is where I've been spending my time and my study from the early consumption of, as I mentioned, Naeem Akbar, George Grew, Peggy McIntosh, some of those folks who I think early on in my master's degree, PhD program was part of my learning. Um, but uh, uh, I think also with some of the recent publications of Jackie Battaloria, you know, giving us some language to that history and, and, um, and even Debbie Irving and Carol Anderson who wrote the great book, White Rage, uh, um, you know, Jim Lowen and some of his publications, of course, um, 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 my good friend Joe Fagan in the white racial frame. And um, let's not forget Francis Cress Welsing, who, I mean, essentially was, I mean, I mean, demonized for all of her powerful knowledge and, and, and exposure of white supremacy historically present day. And so I'm lucky, fortunate, blessed that I had those parts and pieces uh, uh, building up in my psyche and my internal foundation. And even though people were looking at me, I felt like as the villain, uh, I mean, Eddie, we got diversity work, but we don't need that, 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 that Malcolm X stuff. That's just too divisive. That's too, you're, you're being too mean. You're, 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 you hate white people kind of stuff. And uh, so, uh, now it's almost like uh, 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 people are now turning to me saying, oh, well, what do you think about white supremacy? I mean, people are actually saying white supremacy now, white privilege now. So uh, I think that's been a bit rewarding to feel like 
finally people recognize this friend I've been talking about. But simultaneously, I feel like white supremacists have a head start. I mean, they've been organizing, revamping, re-strategizing, remaking themselves over the last 20 years. And because of that time they've had to be able to do that and people feeling like, no, when you talk about white supremacy and white supremacy, you're talking about the Klan. You can't be talking about the banker down the road. You can't be talking about the lady who's walking in the park. You can't be talking about uh, the police officer who's walking my neighborhood, right? Like it's really now a time for us to catch up because I feel like white supremacy and white supremacists have a head start in the 21st century. And so uh, that's where I'm at now, uh, feeling like I have a strong foundation and really trying to strategize and partner with people who don't only, who do not only want to save white supremacy, white supremacists, but want to build some strategies and some action around behavior change, systems change, organizational change. And I think we're seeing some signs of that. I mean, NASCAR taking away the Confederate flag. I mean, I think that's a real, for me, sign that not only are people talking about white supremacy, but they're willing to take some actions around the symbols associated with that. Um, I think we got some work to do with some mascots, some other statues and symbols. Uh, and also we've been having some tough conversations in the religious community about some, some, some visuals that are quite not true when it comes to some real um, um, publications around uh, Jesus and what Jesus looked like and not even, you know, saying that people have to be religious and understanding and talking about that, but I just think it brings us to a point where white supremacy has to be talked about in those areas in the visuals and the symbols that we know were manufactured to uphold white supremacy forever. And so I think as we've seen some success, now we got to dig a little bit deeper now and start looking at uh, some of those things, some of those symbols, some of those signs, some of those statues that we know were resurrected, were manufactured to uplift and maintain white supremacy. So powerful. And uh, just the millions who are marching, the millions that are raising questions in their organizations, communities. And as, as you've taught me, symbols are a step then we need to go to the next level of how is racism, white supremacy culture, the Kenneth Jones, Tema Okins work, and there are other folks that have written about just the daily, how we do business or policies, practices, how is that built in? Because I've seen in the last three and a half, four years, white supremacy go mainstream, not only on college campuses, I see it in the current government in Washington, suits and ties, but the language is so racist. I don't care what rally it is or what speech it is. And more and more folks saying, yeah. So how do we individual folk cross racialized identity, particularly whites, start noticing the racist dynamics and stop distancing, oh, I'm not racist, I'm not white supremacist. And it's not individual behavior only, we have to look at systems. And so, 
we can talk about everything, but we have a few minutes before the break. Could you share a little bit about how you see, particularly in this historical potential change moment of trans, real transformation, and I believe you are here in this moment. Everything you've done has prepared you and so many tens of thousands you have influenced, if not hundreds, for this moment. How have you seen racial justice work, dismantling white supremacy work, shifted or particularly needed? You talked about need, but is there anything about what is happening that might be new ways that some folks that are newer to this than I am are like, oh, we could do that in our organization or, huh, I could do that. What are you seeing? And then I'm going to ask you, how can people find you? Because I bet a lot of folks are going to want you to come speak. Yeah, yeah. Well, I use a uh, math metaphor visual. You know, I mean, we all spend some time learning our numbers and multiplications. But if you can't apply that to your budget, you know, or the way you spend or the way you save uh, or the way you want to build wealth and build towards some success, then what's the purpose of learning the numbers? And so I feel like more and more people are saying white supremacy, more and more people are asking questions about white supremacy, but the actual understanding and dismantling and pushing back is really that next step. It is, it, it is a study, it is something you have to understand. And for so many people, this is the first time they're even articulating those words. And I think the next real work is around understanding white supremacy and what it looks like, how it manufacts, manufactures itself in not only individual behavior, but also systems and organization. Again, not to say white people bad, not to say white people evil, but I am saying white supremacy bad, yeah. white supremacy evil. And that that is a level of skill that we got to begin to build like we do with our math, our science, our language, and by building that skill set, we can then do better and, 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 and make things better in the society and the space where we operate. Sometimes when you look at it in Washington or even on the global scale, it can seem overwhelming. But can you just look around your church, your synagogue, your, your worship place, your worship space? Can you just look around your community center, your school buildings, Right? Can you even look in your family life? Like if you could see some symbols of white supremacy manufacturing itself there, start there. Let's, let's not be so intent on starting with the Washington Monument. Let's just look right there in your neighborhood if there are some symbols, some, some, some signs that we can start local. And that's really what I'm asking people to do and really want to work with people around is really the circle of power that they can actually influence. Start local. Love it. And I'm suggesting to white people that go into white fragility and fear, I don't know what to do. I'm like, we do several things at once. We can be learning awareness, skill, as we also look at our policies and practices with the race lens, not by ourselves, but a cross race group and really begin to identify the culture, the climate and practices and policies. As we go to break, would you just share how people can find you personally, some of the resources, learn more about the White Privilege Conference, more American, more your consulting and speaking, that would be so helpful. 
Yeah, yeah. The, the good thing is you can find all those things by their names. So eddymorejr.com, just Google me, uh, my, my website, my social media platform is all associated with my name. And if there's another Eddie Moore, just look for the bald guy with a nice little smile and that's me, okay? Uh, secondly, the White Privilege Conference, the Privilege Institute, both of those entities, again, you can find Google websites by their name, the privilegeinstitute.com, uh, whiteprivilegeconference.com. And um, uh, 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 those are the ways to find me and, and both of those organizations. And we'll share those at the end as well. And if folks want some of my free resources, they're on the radio show, as well as drkathyabair.com backslash resources. These last three weeks, as I've been co-leading white accountability groups, free, open, online with Rachel Forrester, uh, have just exploded that site for many resources to lead your own white accountability groups. In fact, this afternoon, 5 p.m. We're doing our fourth How Do You Convene White Accountability Groups. All my books are there to download for free, including, but I'm not racist, tools for well-meaning whites, more self-work and more tools to how whites can come together to go beyond a book club, to be active change agents in dismantling racism, creating true racial justice and partnership with folks of color. We will be back with Dr. Eddie Moore, more real talk, more real solutions about dismantling racism and white supremacy, creating true racial justice and liberation. I'm Dr. Kathy O'Bear with Center for Transformation Change. We'll see you in a few minutes. Are you ready to transform your life and embrace magical experiences? Talking to Tannis with your host, Tannis McRae, is here to help you find your joy in life. Tune in live every first and third Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Let's awaken your experience and create the change necessary to take back your right to choose who you are. For more about Tannis, visit TalkingToTannis.com. Have you ever wondered what your pets think about? Do you know what your pets are saying to you? Dr. Monica will be your pet's translator to help you understand what your pets are trying to communicate to you. Enhance the bond with your furry friends on Pets Talk with Pet Communicator, Dr. Monica, each month on TransformationTalkRadio.com. For more information about Dr. Monica, visit PetCommunicator.com. It's time to get your life back on Burn Bright Today with Jennifer Marcinelli. Tune in each month on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Learn to move from the darkness of burning out to the light of burning bright. Jennifer is redefining stress and the energetic causes of burnout, shining a light on process to get your life back. For more information about Jennifer and her work, visit BurnBrightToday.com. Tune in to The Truth is Funny with Colette Steffen each Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. This hit show will have you thinking outside the box and riding the wave of infinite potential. Join Colette on the Higher Self Network, inspiring listeners to shine their brilliance and ensure success while roaring with laughter as they recognize the humor of the giant cosmic joke. Visit TheTruthIsFunny.com. Raising the vibrations through stimulating conversations while exploring the mysteries of Atlantis and Lemuria on Tales from the Mer World Radio with me, Amira Beth. Join us every second and fourth Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. 
Be ready to feel empowered and an active part of the changing earth. For more information about me, visit amirabeth.com. The Truth is Funny, Shift Happens with Colette Marie Steffen is excited to welcome Karen Benton as a monthly guest host. Tune in on the third Wednesday of each month at 8 a.m. Pacific time to regain confidence and trust in your capacity to create change in your life, your health, your family, and your well-being. Karen Benton is a mother, nurse practitioner, certified body talk practitioner, Franklin Method instructor, and owner of Limitless Living LLC. For more information about Karen, visit karenbenton.com. I'm Dr. Kathy Herbert, Center for Transformation Change Radio. So excited to continue my just amazing conversation with Dr. Eddie Moore Jr. of America and More, as well as the White Privilege Conference, the Privilege Institute. Thank you so much, Eddie. I've learned so much already. Can't wait for our last segment. It's good to be back with you, my friend. Over the break, you were talking about Malcolm X a bit, and then I was like, ooh, I want to know more because you didn't tell me all. So, yeah, well, I didn't. I mean, I think this is that Malcolm X moment. If you remember Spike Lee's movie when he was coming out of, I think it was the courthouse or something, and the young white woman came up to him and said, "What do I do? I mean, what, 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 what action should I take, so to speak?" And and I think Malcolm was pretty short and and to the point. I mean. Uh, you got to work with your people, basically. Um, and I think this is that moment. I don't know about you, but I feel like my phone has been ringing off the hook, so to speak, where more people than I even anticipated from not only my present life, but even my past life with genuine inquiry, wanting to know what can I do? I feel like this is that Malcolm X moment. And Malcolm at that time, I think, really kind of sent that young woman on her way to just do with it and deal with it herself. Uh, but I feel like Malcolm evolved over time. And actually, um, someone had said to me, there's some um, uh, footage of Malcolm actually revisiting that question after some of his evolution. I have to look at that, revisit that myself. But it made me think about what would I say? What am I going to say? Because I've been hearing people say, white folks, I ain't got, ain't nobody got time for that. Do your homework. And I've just been wondering if that's where I'm at. Is that where I need to be? Uh, because um, I don't want us to lose sight of how we got to this moment. I mean, George Floyd definitely was like that igniting piece. But let's not forget Ahmaud Arbery before that. Uh, let's not forget Breonna Taylor, who we're still not really saying her name, nope. who was murdered sleeping. And of course, um, the Central Park, Karen, Susie, I mean, we're running out of names. There's so many of these incidences happen, happening. Uh, but I mean, there were a sequence of things going on. And people have been saying this is going on. This, this is almost back to the Black Panthers, you know, taking arms in the streets saying, the reason we're doing that is because they're murdering us in the streets. And um, so I, I just don't want people to forget how we got to this moment of people asking these questions. And I think it's our responsibility not to squander this moment. And that's where I'm at right now. I'm trying to take, I'm trying to step into that responsibility because young people lost their life so that we could have folks 
now finally asking these questions. It's like that civil rights moment where the the the, the water hoses were finally yeah shown on TV and more and more people were then moved to you know participate or ask questions. So I think this is our 21st century moment, and I don't want to lose sight that it costs people their lives. That families are not seeing family members. Let's not forget about Rayshard Brooks, who's also recently murdered right before our eyes on camera as another example of people losing their life so we could get these questions. And I feel like, for me, I don't want to squander that opportunity. Some days I feel like saying, white folks, if you don't get the, I just, some days I have that, I ain't, I'm not going to lie. But I feel like this is the moment that I've been doing my 10,000 hours at Malcolm X, I mean, that Malcolm Gladwell talked about when you become that, that resource, that professional, it takes some time. And I've been doing that. And I want to use this moment to say to folks, hey, start local. Uh, here's a 21-day action plan. Here's something you can do right here. Start here. Uh, uh, what are you saying to your kids? Here's some, here's some kids' books that you could do and participate and get your kids involved. Right? So trying to be really concrete and substantive to folks to give them an opportunity to do something. And if they don't come back with some results, then I'm going to say ain't nobody got time for that. Because I'm not working with the most resistance or people who are optimistic, but they're not doing shizzle. Right? That's real privilege that you think things are going to get better, but you're not doing anything. What I'm saying is I'm okay with being optimistic, but what's your action plan? So uh, I'll end it with this. In fact, I get asked all the time, Kathy, are you pessimistic or are you optimistic? And I had to invent a new word because I'm neither one of those. I'm not optimistic. I mean, you can't watch the death of a citizen at the hands of a police officer showing no remorse for me and feel a whole lot of optimism. Now, I'm not pessimistic either. I mean, I come from a a, a, a background where I had some struggles and primarily, you know, overcoming and, and working through some uh, crack cocaine and alcohol addiction. I mean, I'm a real uh, um, a blessed brother today. I mean, I shouldn't need, I shouldn't literally be here today. So I can't be pessimistic. So I invented this new term, pessimistic. Pessimistic. <laughs> pessimistic means you're optimistic but you're taking action. That's my answer to that question. Let's believe that we can do something better, but let's take action. What are you willing to do? And if you can share with me some energy, some, some commitment and some willingness to do something, I can give you some things. And if I check back with you in three months, three weeks, three days even, I wanna see some action. And if not, I got to let you go because I want to be dealing with folks who want to take action because this time needs us now. If not now, I'm not sure in my lifetime. And I join you as someone in recovering alcohol addiction and uh, all of white privilege and racism was set up so that I could be here today. And just really struck with the difference in our lives. And if we had grown up as neighbors or family members, who knows? And a system was set up for me to do privilege. 
Is there anything more you want to say about systemic white privilege or the white privilege conference and how that's evolved? The resources people can find because so many whites are asking what I can do and I love what you're saying. And there are so many more speakers. You just done this wonderful speaker series for of many of the keynotes as well as um, folks. Is that still available on the white privilege website so people could use those as professional development for themselves, their family, their community, their organization? Absolutely, absolutely. So let me say this first about the White Privilege Campus. Even though it has that title, the one thing we work hard to do is cover privilege comprehensively. So even though you come to the White Privilege Campus that has that title, we feel like there's a workshop, there's subject matter there for everybody. Our motto is everybody has privilege. It just manifests itself in very different ways. So you're going to get a plethora, or as Kimberly Crenshaw puts it, uh, a level of intersectionality when you're dealing with privilege at the White Privilege Conference. Secondly, this is not a conference for everybody. I mean, uh, we require you to do some work before you come here. This is not a kumbaya experience. This is what I like to call the CrossFit class for diversity. I feel like diversity has been the only topic where we keep people at 101, kumbaya. And it's part of the catalyst, the the reason for the White Privilege Conference is we needed an advanced course, an advanced space to grapple with issues beyond Diversity 101. Lastly, if you do diversity work, you should be doing your work. And I would say to people, if you're bringing consultants in, myself included, you should be asking the consultant, what's the last book you read? What's the last conference you've been to? What's the last learning session you participated in? Not conducted, but participated in. And so part of also the White Privilege Conference is creating the space for those of us who do the work can also be there doing our work. And so um, I, I feel like over 20 years, we continue to uh, provide that kind of space. And I, I, I feel like, again, this is a moment where those folks, as you mentioned, thousands maybe, I mean, I, who knows how many we've impacted by now, right? Those but I'm hoping they are. I hoping I'm hoping we are stepping up to this moment. What I love about the White Privilege Conference is it has such a broad range of folks—folks folks that are activists and community K twelve, uh, or even higher ed and other places. Folks that are social justice, racial justice educators that might enter about where are you on that math continuum. Are you still learning arithmetic? Do you know geometry? Oh, you know calculus. Wait, you're in trigonometry? And I have to be honest, I'm not even sure what that is. And so <laughs> being able to meet people where they are, and then there are folk of color and BIPOC folk, indigenous folks that are like, I'm working with affinity spaces and self-care and empowerment, and others like you that say, I'm committed to doing both. I'm willing to work with whites if they show up, and then whites that are really committed to work with whites. So. As folks are asking and waking up more, what can I do inside my organization? Yes, local in my community family, but I got white leaders who talk the talk, but are scared when you start to say dismantle racist practices and policies, white accountability group. How do we get white leaders? And it could be other leaders of color that are colluding. And that's, there's so few. How do you get senior leaders, particularly white leaders, paying attention? And what are some strategies for systemic change 
as you said, we can influence systemically, possibly here. The Colorado governor, Governor Paulus, just apparently passed with others the most open dismantling of the previous policing system, looked at immunity as well as other dynamics, eight can't wait. I didn't see if they're all eight in there. So all that to say, we can do systemic. What can people do, particularly whites in their organization to get senior leaders, managers going? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I talked to a friend of mine in Iowa who runs this organization and they were talking about their commitment to being holistic in reference to working with folks about the workplace. But diversity and inclusion was not a part of that, those key dynamics. And what he was revisiting, which I appreciated, is how to make sure that when they said holistic, diversity and inclusion was a part of that. What I think we need to revisit is what it means to be a leader. That if you are not committed to systemic organizational transformation change, where now we are more than ever, more than ever, having some explanations, some exploration, some uh, information provided that's showing clear disparities in the way jobs were created, home ownership was created, pay was created. And I don't think you deserve the title of leader if you're not examining those things. So I think we need to re-examine what it means that when we identify somebody as a leader. Now, if you're a leader for white people, then say that. I'm okay with that. I, I like what Derek Bell was writing about in Faces of the Bottom of the Well. If it's a racist organization, that's cool. Just put an R over the door so I know. But I'm saying that if you're a leader that's comprehensive, then you got to be willing to explore the kind of disparities associated with white supremacy that were created and maintained by white supremacy, white male culture dominance. And you can do that by doing an assessment. You mentioned Tima and her great work and her great model. There are other great scholars out there, yourself included, myself included, um, um, uh, consultants that can help you even do an assessment of your organization. That if you want to get better, then you got to know how sick you are. So leaders can start by doing some kind of white supremacy, white culture dominance assessment, and then building an action plan. It's like getting in shape. It's like eating healthier. It's like taking a road trip. Like you got to map it out and follow the plan and stick to the plan so it can take you to your destination. So those are some ways in which I talk to folks, try to encourage folks in reference to making systemic organizational change. That assessment, that action planning, that collaborative, uh, uh, supportive kind of uh, uh, group that you're possibly working with. But most importantly, let's consider even changing the title. Like you can't say leader and it not mean transformation systemic change or competency around that or willingness to examine that. We've had too much status quo. I'm hoping this is the moment. We don't let these lives that have been lost go without really trying to look at some serious change opportunities. This is the moment and I don't care what size, every organization, and I'm hearing white backlash already of well, what about LGBTQ? What about anti-Semitism? What about women? And I'm saying, can't you just stand race for a minute? And we're gonna center on dismantling anti-Black racism in this organization and other forms of racism. And in the process, 
we will identify other areas that need shifted. And so there might be other changes and eventually we may have centered look on that, but right now we're looking at the role of whites and perpetuating the role of people of color, indigenous folks, the impact, and then what we need to change. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that because. Well, you raised a good point in my mind that I didn't mention earlier that I think we also have to think about when we think about the challenges associated with this systemic change. It's not only the old models in which leaders have been developed in, particularly white leaders. And I don't know, I, I'm not sure I'm ready to say that they have all of them a real intentionality in reference to maintaining white supremacy, white male cultural dominance. But I can't, we have to say we can't not factor that in. So if you have somebody committed to maintaining status quo, you got to have different strategies than if you have somebody who's willing to change, but just haven't had the training and tools. But the other part we got to look at that I think is a unique dynamic around white supremacy, white male cultural dominance shift change today is the role people of color are playing and siding with white supremacy and, and, and really participating in its maintenance or denying some of its injurious history or the disparities associated with it. And I don't know if I have all the answers to that, but I just think it's, no, it's worth noting that we're in a different time now where we just see some real public figures, BIPOC figures siding with white supremacy. And that's something that we just got to remember to also be prepared to strategize and deal with as we look forward, let's just say over the next 25 years. And without losing, I join you how we white people in the system have hired folk of color, BIPOC folk to maintain the system and be out there for us. So yes, but I find white people say, blaming the person of color that might be. And I'm like, you know, let's also blame white supremacy and all the whites that perpetuated it. Uh, your doctoral work and other research has been really focused on uh, football and the role of uh, racism, white supremacy, particularly impacting black athletes exploitation. And was it just two weeks ago, finally NFL commissioner said, oh, sorry, mm -hmm. perpetuated white supremacy, racism ruled your life, but sorry. What someone then said was, that's, that's nice, maybe, but the owners, where are, they, where are they? And I didn't know if there's anything you wanted to say in general or as a metaphor that top leaders might say something, but the system will not change because the folks with the power are resisting. And if you push too hard, there will be punishment, retaliation, and they will take you out. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I just think uh, I'm still processing the ESPYs, they call it, ESPN's award show that they give out these, what they call ESPYs, and it was the first time that I think they've said Black that many times ever on the show, but definitely in the opening, they were not only saying Black Lives Matter, but allowing even folks to wear Black Lives Matter uh, and having white folks even issuing some challenge around white people or two white people. I mentioned, we've mentioned NASCAR and also some of the, I mean, just historic changes that we've witnessed right there before our eyes. Um, but um, I don't know. I think to me, I'm still not sure. I think the verdict is still out in reference to what's going to be the horizon of sports. And especially as it relates to the silence of 
the most powerful, the most um, 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 uh, uh, invincible when it comes to team ownership. It's not just the coaches. I mean, I think uh, when you say sports, for me, you got to look at the coaches at the college level, but in this case, at the professional level, uh, I think that there's been some real absence of even coaches Thank participating you. or coming to the forefront around this. There's been a little bit here and there, um, but also the owners have, I mean, virtually been silent. I mean, there's been a few possibly, I know here in Green Bay, we had a pretty robust and uh, actually for me, quite surprising statement from the president of the Packers uh, in his Black Lives Matter statement in which he said Black Lives Matter. And he also pledged some resources towards that effort, which I thought was pretty remarkable. Um, and in fact, I was trying to visualize a Super Bowl championship based on your commitment to social justice. And right now, I think the Packers are the Super Bowl champions for social justice only because no other team has appeared in the game. <laughs> so uh, uh, anyway, let me just close by saying it's been really nice and refreshing also to see, as I mentioned with the SB, some athletes stepping up, um, particularly some white athletes. But I think particularly as it relates to, in this case, football, there's still some absence, I think, of some pretty high profile white athletes around this topic. And uh, back to some of what we've been talking about, I mean, whether it's education, whether it's athletics, whether it's medicine, whether it's um, banking. I mean, I think we're seeing some real absence of powerful people and their voices around this subject matter. And I think that that's one of the ultimate tests of if there'll be systemic change, organizational change is if power is speaking truth to power. And I think that that's going to be one of the real tests of time. And I think this is the moment, if any moment could inspire you to say something, it's this moment. I'm wondering what would it take? Did it have to be 10 George Floyds? I mean, what, what's it going to take to have someone at that level say, you know what, okay, enough is enough. And beyond a statement, beyond an email, beyond coming to another listening session, it was, I think it was Cal Luthan this morning, I saw their website and their president, and it was the farthest I've seen any higher education. And it still wasn't enough for me, but it was more than most systemic, transformational, disrupting, eradicating racism and moving forward. One thing I love about you, Dr. Eddie Moore Jr., is you were such a visionary. And so as you're envisioning votes coming up here in November, as you're envisioning what you're doing next that we can be thinking about, musing about, looking forward to, I, I learned from you as you just, even as you said, Super Bowl of the organizations, the NFL teams, who is recognizing who's truly doing dismantling racism work in every organization and highlighting that and acknowledging. So we just have a couple minutes left What's next? What are you thinking about the election? Anything you want to go? Yeah, well, um, my goal is to do a book a year for the next 10 years. So we are now working on the uh, 
companion book to the guide for white women to teach black boys. I uh, got a couple other books in the hopper, uh, including my own, uh, a kid's book that I'm um, um, developing and think about some things in that area as well and working with young people. Um, I also really want to um, think about reproducing uh, white social justice activists for the 21st century. I feel like some of the folks who've been a part of the conference that I've interacted with that have really supported me in the times not a lot of people were, back in 1999 and early 2000s. Um, I mean, they, they're getting at that time where they're ready to retire. And I'm wondering who's replenishing that group. Um, and so I'm really focusing on and thinking about um, some strategy around building and teaching around some of the work and works of the folks, white folks who've come before. And then lastly, uh, as we mentioned, this self-care piece, you know, just trying to um, um, build the next generation of consultants, particularly folks of color, BIPOC folks, who are um, uh, uh, really participating in the work of social justice, especially from a consulting standpoint, and how to build, you know, their curriculum and their, their material, but also, most importantly, how to take care of themselves, how to sustain over time. And so... Uh, I really want to be a part of this next generation of consultants, especially BIPOC folks, and really sharing with them some of the lessons I've learned. I, I wish I had learned at the time I got started. And most importantly, uh, continuing to encourage and role model self-care. Dr. Eddie Moore Jr., I so deeply respect you, learn from you, love you. Thank you for joining us. I'm leaving so full of ideas and passion could you please remind folks how they can find you again? Because again, I think you're going to have some people finding you. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's nice to feel like people are willing to now engage in this subject matter, especially coming from a Black man, unapologetically Black. And so um, uh, the way to find me is my name, EddieMoreJr.com. On all my social media platforms, you can Google my name and find me in that way, as well as the White Privilege Conference, the Privilege Institute, the organizations I'm a part of. Uh, you can find them, Google them by name, and they will come up as well. Thank you so much. Again, I'm Dr. Kathy O'Bear. You can find free resources on my website, drkathyobear.com backslash resources all around white accountability spaces, dismantling racism. And then some of my courses, backslash events, E-V-E-N-T-S. All my books are downloadable for free. And join me again for the next show where Natalie Thornson's coming in for part two. And these times, I was so looking forward. She was one of your keynotes at the White Privilege Conference. And then we had to go virtual. So July 6th, same time, same station. Dr. Eddie Moore Jr. sending you love and light. Thank you so much for your work in the world, my friend. I appreciate you. Virtual hug. I'm sending you There you go. Thank you all for your work in the world. Take care. You've been listening to Dr. Kathy O'Bear on Transformation Talk Radio. Thanks for tuning in, and be sure to catch us next time as Kathy inspires listeners to become agents of change, motivate, innovate, and speak truth to power. Step into the courageous you that will change the world. Connect to life-changing conversations to extend your reach 
For more information on Kathy and her work, please visit drkathyobear.com. That's drkathyobear.com.